Well, uh, welcome over in the venue, and I'm thankful for Claudia and Megan and Jackie leading worship over there. Girls rule. I mean, it was great. I got to watch you guys for a while. That song we sang in here and the song we sang over in the venue um, uh, is the same song. And uh, it's not just a song, but that song is, is truth. You see, there will be times in your life when you will feel like God has let go of you. Things will happen in your life when, when you'll feel like God doesn't care about you anymore. You'll, you'll feel a particular way because of the pain and the sorrow and the suffering that you're going through. But the truth is that God never lets go. That's, that's the truth. And, and I often tell you that um, your feelings don't have any IQ. You can't educate your feelings. They are what they are, and most of the time, our feelings are, are irrational. Jesus didn't say, it's your feelings that will set you free. It's the truth that sets you free. Now, I'm glad I have feelings. I'm glad I can, you know, emote, and, and, and we see Jesus emoted. He had feelings. He felt compassion, he got angry, he wept, and all those kinds of things. Nothing wrong with that. But the reality is, what we were just singing, is that he never lets go. God never lets go. No matter what you think or what you feel, you gotta get past your irrational feelings and go, whoa, what does the truth say? What does God's word say about the scenario that, that I'm in? Revelation chapters two and three, Jesus writes seven different letters to seven different churches. These were churches in the first century that were located throughout Asia Minor. And the reason Jesus wrote these letters to these churches was he wanted to let them know how they were doing. I told you last week and the week before, these letters are, are a lot like progress reports that a teacher might send out. These letters told uh, the people of those particular churches how they were doing. Uh, things that Jesus was, you know, happy about. Things that they were doing that were godly and holy. Things that Jesus wanted them to continue to do. But like um, the progress reports that often went home, at least to my home, uh, they, Jesus also told these churches about things that they needed to work on. Things that weren't very good or holy or righteous. Things that Jesus wanted them to kind of cut out of their lives or stop doing or whatever. Things that they needed to, to, to work on. These letters were really filled with wisdom to the people of that particular church. Last week, and actually the last two weekends, we looked at the busy church, busy people, and Jesus told this particular church that their busyness had gotten in the way of their love for Jesus. They were busy doing lots of holy and righteous uh, things, a lot of activity going on in their Christian life, but in the midst of all that Christian activity, their first love for the Lord had somehow grown cold, and so Jesus, in that first letter to the busy church, gave some really great wisdom as to how you can keep your first love or get that first love back. If you weren't here last weekend or the weekend before, and this is your church, I want to um, encourage you to go online and, and, and watch it, or go out there and spend some money and buy the DVDs or the CDs and watch it. Because though that letter was written 2,000 years ago, it's still relevant today because I think that first church reminded me a lot of this church. This church just has, you know, thousands of people that are busy doing great, holy, righteous things, and we need to be doing those things. But we also have to be careful that in the midst of all of our Christian activity, all of our busyness, that we don't lose our first love 
for Jesus. And so if you weren't here last week or the week before or whatever, maybe you were on vacation, make sure you go spend some money or just watch them um, for free on our website. Um, today we're going to look, begin looking at the second letter, the, the, the letter to the suffering church. These were people that were suffering, and what makes this letter so relevant is, is that all of us suffer, don't we? All of us. Now, obviously, some people suffer more than others, but we all face pain, uh, problems, sorrow, suffering in our lives. It might be the, the death of a loved one. I know a lot of you uh, have loved ones, and they're on, <laughs> they're on the 18th hole of life. They might be up on the green. This is it. And it's, and it's hard. It's painful. It, they're, they're suffering. It might be um, that your spouse was unfaithful. Boy, that, that's painful, isn't it? That'll cause a lot of sorrow in your life. It might be that your teenager's gone sideways. And most of us, you know, who've had a teenager, you know, 99.6% of us go through that, right? Those moments where they just cause a lot of sorrow and pain and trouble in your life, in your family's life, right? It might be you lost your job. You lost your home. It might be that your business just didn't work. <laughs> Man, you thought it all through and you stepped out on a limb and, you know, and it just fell apart. That's painful. Maybe your health's not very good. Nothing will cause pain and sorrow in your life like a doctor sticking an x-ray up on a thing and going right there. You see that? It's not supposed to be there. It's cancer. And that'll, that'll rock your world, right? Jesus made this promise in John chapter 16. I, I'll tell you, it's the weirdest, the strangest promise that you'll find in all of the Bible. There's lots of promises in the Bible, but without a doubt, this is the weirdest one. Jesus said, here on earth, you're going to have a lot of trials and a lot of suffering. This side of glory, one of the things, it's just kind of the standard equipment of life is sorrow, pain. And I know that everybody in this room has experienced pain and sorrow. Now, you might be able to get into our, you know, babies and kindergartners and first graders, and maybe they haven't experienced much pain or sorrow. But you live long enough, and it, man, wow. Life is full of sorrows. Every day here at the church, our offices are filled, our counseling offices are, are filled with people that are going through difficult times. Uh, my doctor's down here, Dr. Chin. I, I doubt anybody ever makes an appointment and comes in and goes, wow, doc, everything's great. I mean, you have no aches or pains? Oh, no, everything's fantastic. Just thought I'd pay my co-payment just to come in here and tell you how great things were. <laughs> it never happens. Try to get in and see him. You gotta be on your deathbed to get in and see him. He's busy, you know why? Lots of pain, lots of sorrow, all kinds of medical stuff going on in people's lives. That promise Jesus made is true. A lot of suffering in the world, maybe in your own life. The point is, is that we're all gonna suffer. The issue is, is, is how you handle it. The second letter, this second letter that Jesus wrote has some really great things to say to those of us that go through pain, go through trials, go through suffering. There's some great wisdom, if you will, in this second letter. And you can come at these letters from all different angles. You can come at them from the angle of the end times and, and all this kind of stuff. I'm just taking them from a very practical standpoint, okay? So let's read this second letter together. Revelation chapter two, look at verse eight. If you don't have a Bible, it'll be on the jumbotrons. It's in your uh, note sheets. We want you to be able to see the word of God for yourself. To the angel of the church at Smyrna write, these are the words of him who is the first and the last, who died and came back to life again. So we obviously know who wrote these seven letters. 
He says, I know your afflictions and your poverty, yet you're rich. I know the slander of those who say they are Jews and aren't, and, but really are of the synagogue of Satan. Don't be afraid of what you're about to suffer. I tell you, the devil will put some of you into prison to test you, and you will suffer persecution for 10 days. Be faithful even to the point of death, and I will give you the crown of life. He who has an ear, let him hear what the Spirit says to the churches. So though this was written to a particular church, what he says to the churches is relevant for all of us. He who overcomes will not be hurt by the second death. Beloved, I want you to know that my prayer has been that as we look at what Jesus said to these people, these people that are suffering, and we'll take two weeks to look at this letter, that you realize that his words are just as real and just as fresh and just as personal today as they were 2,000 years ago. You see, it's easy to look at this book and go, man, that's old, man, that's an old book, written a long time ago. And it is. It was written a long time ago. But it was written by a God who wrote it in a way that it's even relevant to us today. Though it was written thousands of years ago. Now, last week I, I had you imagine that you were maybe at your favorite restaurant or maybe you were at Giacomo's having a cup of coffee or whatever and sitting right across from you was Jesus. And I want you to do that again, okay? I just want you to imagine there you are, you're at Perco's, your favorite restaurant, coffee shop, whatever, and Jesus is right across from you. And you've had the opportunity to pour out your heart to him. You've, you've just shared about all of the, the, the pain in your life, the, the troubles in your life, the, the sorrow in your life. You, you've told him about the pain of your, your teenager, the pain of, of, of what the divorce is doing in your life, your parents' divorce. You, you've just shared with him the, the pain of, of finding out your spouse was unfaithful. You, you just shared the pain of the fact that you lost a loved one. You, you just shared with him the, the sorrow that you're going through over, over you know, losing your job or whatever it is, okay? You've, you've just shared that. And now Jesus is going to respond to you. And the first thing he would say to you is this, I know. I know. In verse 9, he says, I, I know all about your afflictions. I know. Now let me give you two important truths that you need to remember, need to understand and remember. The first one is that Jesus knows about all the pain. He knows about all the sorrow. He knows about all the suffering. He knows about all the hurt that happens in your life. He knows about the pain that's happening right now in your life. He knows. He knows about all the problems that you're having right now. He knows. He knows all about the difficulties that are going on in your marriage right now. He knows. He knows about all the, the, the cancer that they found in your body. He knows. The writer of Hebrews said this, nothing in all creation is hidden from God. Nothing. He knows about it. Even if you don't go and tell him, even if you didn't have a chance to sit across, you know, from him at your favorite coffee shop and share with him all the stuff, even if you didn't spend some time praying with him, telling him about all the pain and sorrow in your life, he knows about it anyway. The Bible says he knows everything you need to know, everything he needs, everything you need before you ever pray it. He knows. When you sit down with him and you say, Lord, my heart is broken over my teenager, you know, he doesn't go, whoa, oh, thanks for telling me, you know. Man, I took a day off and look what happened. No, he knows about it all. And I think the first thing that Jesus would say to you is, I know, I know. Psalms 147 says, our Lord is great and very powerful. There's no limit to what he knows. And that's truth. 
The big $10 word that theologians use is the word omniscient. God, God is omniscient. That means he knows everything. God is, God is all-knowing. There's no question that he can't answer. There's no problem that confuses him. There's nothing that surprises him. He's never caught off guard by something. He's never shocked by anything. God knows absolutely everything there is to know about everything, which means he knows about the pain and sorrow in your life. He knows about what's happening in your life. He knows about the good. He knows about the ugly. He knows about the bad. He knows about the problems, the sorrows, you name it. He knows it. He's intimately acquainted with what's happening in your life right now. Jesus said this in Matthew chapter 10. He said, two sparrows cost only a penny. But not even one of them can die without your father knowing it. And that wasn't a part of my message until just the other day. I, I, um, at our home, uh, I like uh, ivy growing on my, you know, uh, walls of my home and on my fence. I just like it. And one of the things that, um, that's cool about it, at least in my opinion, is, is that this ivy becomes uh, homes for birds. So we have all these bird nests. I mean, there's just a whole bunch of them. And so whenever I get out there and trim the hedge, when I get to a bird nest, I stop and I go around it. So there's all these little puffy spots. Because I just like the idea that there's all these birds and I'm always having to go through it and I find the little eggs and the birds are, are hatched and, and all, all that kind of stuff. And, and there's a couple of cats in our neighborhood. <laughs> and I, I got a way of dealing with them. I, I'm not gonna tell you about it. Uh, don't wanna. <laughs> Don't want to make anybody distraught, um, but I don't want the cats coming around. Um, but the other day, I, I'm walking out of my house, and I'm walking out down my little front thing, and, and I look over, and there's these two dead birds. They fell out of their nest, and they died. And I walked by, and I went, whoa. And I went over, and I was going, dude, oh, man, it fell out, you know? And there's no way for them. I'm all distraught about this. And God brought this passage to my mind. That as insignificant as these two birds are, and they are insignificant, when they died, God knew. As insignificant as a dumb bird is, when those birds dropped out of that nest, God knew about it. Well, listen to me. God didn't die for those two little birds. He died for you. He came here and lived this amazing life for you, this perfect life, this sinless life. He lived it for you. He voluntarily went to a cross. The Romans didn't put him on a cross. The Jews didn't put him on a cross. He went there on his own and died this horrific death for you. They put him in a tomb, and he walks out of that tomb for you. Not for a bird, and yet he knows when a bird dies. How much more does he know about all the stuff that happens in your life or my life? Psalms 139 says this, you, that's God, made all the delicate inner parts of my body and knit me together in my mama's womb. Thank you for making me so wonderfully complex. Your workmanship is marvelous, how well I know it. You watched me as I was being formed in utter seclusion, as I was woven together in the dark of the womb. You saw me before I was ever born. Every day of my life has been recorded in your book. Every moment was laid out before a single day had passed. And you ought to underline those two words, every moment. God knows about every moment of your life. In fact, he knew about every moment in your life before you were ever a twinkle in your parents' eyes. He knew. They were written in some book, and I don't know what that means exactly. God's trying to help us understand something that's beyond us. Now, I know what a bunch of you are thinking. You're thinking, yikes. The thought that God knows everything about you can make you feel a little uncomfortable, can it? Because if he knows everything that there is to know about you, that means he knows all about your sin. 
He knows all about your failures. He knows about your unbelief. He knows all uh, uh, about your faults. The Bible says this in Psalm 69, O God, you know how foolish I am. My sins cannot be hidden from you. And beloved, I want you to know, i got a few things in my life that I'd rather God not know about. Thought about them this week. Yeah, I'm putting together a message that I believe God wants me to share with you, but let me tell you, when I'm doing that, God's working on me. There are some things in my life that I'd rather the Lord not know about. I have some thoughts that run through my mind at times. It's like, whoa, where'd that come from? There are times when I don't love people the way God commands me to love people. There are times when I don't show mercy to people the way God wants me to show mercy. I don't always do everything right. And though God knows about all the good, the bad, and the ugly, He still loves me deeply. Amazing. Even though he knows everything about me, he'd still come back to planet Earth again and live a perfect life for me and die a horrific death for me and walk out of a tomb for me, even though he knows all the stuff. Unbelievable how much God cares about us. There are some things that I think about. There are some things that I do that I don't even, I don't even like myself at times. <laughs> and yet God says, I, I, I love you. I care about made you in, in, in my image. Proverbs chapter 5 says, The Lord sees everything you do and he watches everywhere you go. Listen to me, beloved. You always have an audience, right? Nothing you ever say is off the record. God is always watching you. You're always on stage. There's no secret closet. Everything you think, everything you see, everything you do, everything you feel, God sees it. God knows about it, which once again means he knows all about the pain that you're in right now. He knows about it. He knows all about the trials you're going through right now. He knows all about the, the suffering you're going through right now. And the first thing that you need to understand about these two words I know is that Jesus knows. He knows. But the second truth is this, and it's way more important than the first truth. And some of you are going, really? How could the second truth be more important than the first truth? The second truth is this. Not only does Jesus know, but he cares. He cares about all the pain and sorrow and suffering and hurt that's going on in, in your life. You see, it's one thing to, to know I can know about one of you and maybe what you're going through. There have been times when maybe you knew about a coworker or a neighbor or, or a friend who was in a, a crummy place. And maybe you didn't do anything. You knew. You see, it's one thing to know, it's another thing then to actually care. A care that would lead you to action. In Psalms 31, it says, I, I will be glad and rejoice in your unfailing love, for you have seen my troubles and you care about the anguish of my soul. And, and that word, anguish, is just unbelievable. And some of you can relate to that. Some of you, maybe right now, are in such pain and such sorrow that it is a, it's, a, it's an anguish. Uh, there, there has been a moment in my life, for those of you that are visiting, where there was a, an anguish in my soul. My first wife was killed in an automobile accident. <laughs> I couldn't... I couldn't explain to you um, about that pain. I, I, I couldn't explain to you the sorrow. Um, 
It just wasn't in the right order of things. You know, your, your parents are supposed to go first, you know, and then you go, and then your kids go. When things get out of order, it's, it's just a layer of pain. I mean, you, no one likes to lose their parents. I've lost one, and it's a bummer, and there's pain and sorrow. But when things get out of order, a child goes first, or whatever, wow, there's another layer of pain. And there were many um, a night, a day, where I literally was in a clump of humanity in a corner, just wailing, wailing. Didn't think, uh, I didn't think my body could contain the liquid that would come out of my eyes. There, there would be snot and just, I was a bloody mess. The anguish was such that I couldn't even explain it to you. And God cared about that moment. He cares about those moments in your life too. Psalms 56 says, you, that's God, keep track of all my sorrows. You have collected all my tears in a bottle. You have recorded each one in your book. Boy, isn't that descriptive? This, this imagery that when you're crying, the pain, the sorrow, whatever it might be, that, that somehow that liquid that's coming from your eyes is so valuable to God, he's collecting it in some sort of bottle. That he's recording it. He knows about it. God wouldn't keep track of all your sorrows and collect all your tears if he didn't care. Listen to me. God knows when someone you love dies. He knows. And not only does he know, he cares. He knows that you lost your job. He knows and he cares. He knows the, the pain that your divorce caused. He knows about it and he cares. He knows about your teenager that's gotten off track. He knows and he cares. Listen, he knows about your inability to get pregnant and the pain that that brings. All your friends are having babies. And they complain because the baby keeps them up all night and you'd give any, you'd cut off a, a limb to experience having to be up all night. He knows and he cares. Psalms 103 says, The Lord is like a father to his children, tender and compassionate to those that fear him. God knows how weak we are, and he remembers that we're only but dust. God sees the, the hurt in your heart that nobody else can see, and he cares about it. Peter, our brother, said this, Give all your worries and all your cares to God. Why? Because he cares about you. And let me tell you something. Peter would not have said that if he hadn't experienced the care of God in his own life. And so here our brother, one of the great apostles of the church, says, listen, when you're, when you're in pain, when you're in sorrow, when suffering comes, give it to him. Give it to the Lord because he cares about you. Listen, most of the time, um, you know, we go to God when we have some sin in our life, right? Right? And we confess our sin. We, we give God our sin. And God wants us to do that. God wants us to give our sin to him because when we don't, then the sin is in our lives and that messes us up. In fact, if you haven't dealt with just sin in general, it'll keep you out of heaven. That's how gross it is. But the Bible also says, hey, listen, don't just give me your, your sin. God says, don't just give me your sin. Give me your troubles too. Come to me with your troubles. Give those to me. Give your sorrows to me. Give your pain to me because I care. I care about you. Some of you, maybe even right now, are ready to give up. And God says, don't give up. Don't do it. Don't give up. Look up. Look up, give it to me. Give it to me. 
Now why? Why does God care? Well, there's lots of reasons, but let me give you one big, huge one, okay? The Bible says this in John chapter 1, that he, that's Jesus, Jesus came into the very world that he created, but the world didn't recognize him. Jesus came to his own people. Even they rejected him. But to all who believed him, to all of those who accepted him, he gave those people the right to become children of God. Beloved, God cares about you because you're one of his children. Now I want you to understand something. God created everybody. Every one of you here, over in the venue, if you're watching online, listening on the radio, everybody was created by God in his image. But not everybody's a child of God. You become a child of God when you give your life over to him, when you surrender your life over to him, when you believe in him, trust in him. It's at that moment that something incredible happens. You go from simply being created in God's image to actually being one of his children. If you're here and you know Jesus Christ as your Savior, you are one of his children. Look, I care deeply about my kids because they're my kids. <laughs> in fact, if um, you had a child or a grandchild or whatever and and my kid was playing, and they're playing on the railroad tracks. I don't know, they bumped heads and fell over, and they're both, you know, unconscious on the railroad tracks, and a train's coming. And I show up, and I only got, you know, time to save one of them. The chances are yours is going to not make it. <laughs> it's not that I don't love your kids. But if I only got time to go, go for one of them, and one of them is mine, hmm. You're, you're, yours probably ain't going to make it. God, I love my kids. Just love them. I'm, I'm one of God's kids. I, I kind of got a little taste of how he feels about me. And if you know Jesus, let me tell you something. You're one of his children. So you, so, so you got a little taste of how he thinks about you. Now, we can get old. You know, I'm in my 50s, and it's easy to go, well, I'm not a kid anymore. no. Not, not to God. I don't care how old my kids get. They're my kids. It doesn't matter how old they get. They're my kids. And it doesn't matter how old you are. You're still one of God's kids. Jesus said this in Matthew chapter 7. He said, you parents, this is going to be good. This is, trust me, this is going to be good. If your children ask for a loaf of bread, do, do you give them a stone instead? Or if they ask you for a fish, do you give them a snake? Of course not. So if you sinful people, sinful parents, know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more will your heavenly Father give good gifts to those who ask of him? In other words, what the Bible's saying is, is hey, listen, Rick, you, you take care of your children. You love your children. You do good things for your children, and you're sinful. Imagine me in perfect holiness, perfect righteousness, no sin. Imagine if you can be good to your kids with this humanity that you're stuck with. Imagine what I can do for my children. Imagine. Imagine. Think about all the good things you've ever done to your kids. Think about all the good things that maybe your parents did for you, and they were sinful. And now you are a child of, of, of God. Now let me give you a quick bonus thought here, okay? One of the reasons God cares so much about you and the pain and suffering that you go through is because he also went through it. The Bible says this in Hebrews chapter 4, our high priest, talking about Jesus, he understands our weaknesses. He understands, for he faced all the same testings that we do. The difference is he didn't sin. So let us come boldly to the throne of our gracious God. There we will receive his mercy. We'll find grace to, to help us when we need it most. We'll find the power that we need 
at that moment. Listen, Jesus understands what it feels like to have people say crummy things about you. That's hurtful. He gets it. He, he, he was one of us, remember? He understands what it feels like to have people reject you. That's crummy. Isn't that crummy? When someone rejects you, ooh, makes you feel bad. Jesus gets it. He's, he, he was rejected. He understands what it feels like to have people ridicule you. He knows how it feels like when your body doesn't work right. Remember, he was beat to a pulp. Had a little difficult time, you know, going, uh, getting to Golgotha. He, he knows what it feels like when the legs don't work very well or the body doesn't work very well. He gets it. He's been there. He knows what it feels like to, to, to lose someone you love. He lost people too. Beloved, there's no suffering that you can think of that Jesus doesn't understand because he went through it. So when you're in a tough time, and some of you are right now, you need to remember that Jesus knows about it and he cares about it because he's been right where you're at. It's one of the beautiful things about how God in his wisdom set this whole thing up. He can, he can relate to us and we can relate to him. I can relate to another human being. I can relate to Jesus. He, he was one of me. And so when I talk with him, when I go to him, he gets it. He, he understands. Now the second thing that Jesus wants to say to you when you're suffering. Look, imagine, there you are. You're sitting at your coffee table, whatever, restaurant. You've just poured out your heart to Jesus. And the first thing he says is, I know. But I think the second thing he would say to you is this, is don't be afraid. Don't be afraid. I know what you're going through is crummy. Don't, don't, don't be afraid. I know it's painful. Don't be afraid. I know it feels like this is never going to end. Don't be afraid. Don't be afraid. This is a common phrase throughout the Bible, don't be afraid, over and over and over again, especially in the Old Testament, you read this phrase, don't be afraid. God, God says it over and over again, and the reason why God says it over and over again is because we as human beings have an incredible propensity to be afraid. It's something all of us have to, 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 to deal with. But, but how do you do it? How do you pull it off? How do you make it work? I mean, I get sweaty palms whenever I have to go in and see a dentist. I just hear the drills. I get afraid. I wish I didn't, but I do. Once a year, I walk into this building, I step right up here, and I have a whole bunch of first graders sitting right out here. I'm terrified. I'm sweating like a pig. I've been working on the message for like four months, and it only has to be five minutes long. And there they all are, and I started, oh man, I'm giving it everything I got, and I'm sweating, and I'm sweating, and I'm nervous, and I'm afraid, and I finally get to the end, and I go, whoo, and I look back at the clock, and I go, oh man, that was only one minute. I feel like I've been up here a week. I got four minutes to go, Lee. I don't know what it is in your life, but there are many things that I get afraid of. And if you're here and you would stand up and say, oh, I don't get afraid of anything, then I already know what you're afraid of. You're afraid of telling the truth. <laughs> because we all get afraid. God wouldn't say, don't be afraid, over and over and over and over and over again. And he said, don't be afraid to some great warriors. Guys that have been through training and all kinds of stuff. I mean, these were, you know, Brain guys, and he, don't be afraid. Why did he tell those guys that? Because he knew. You're going to get afraid. So how do you do it? Well, let, let, me, get, let me unpack it just for a moment here. When, when Jesus says don't be afraid, he, he wasn't saying that you have to pretend that suffering doesn't hurt. Because it does. He wasn't saying that you can't feel anything because that's impossible. He wasn't saying that life isn't hard at times because it is. He wasn't saying that everything's going to turn out just the way you want it to, because it often doesn't. What Jesus was saying is that you can be sure that ultimately he's not going to let you down. 
He's saying that whatever it is you're going through, you won't go through it alone because he's going to be right there with you. In other words, Jesus is saying, instead of being fearful, trust me. Instead of being fearful, believe that I'll never leave you or forsake you. Instead of being afraid, remember that, that I know what you're going through. And I care about you. Don't, don't be afraid. Remember, you, you're one of my kids. I'm not going to let you go through whatever it is you're going through uh, uh, alone. Beloved, when Jesus said to this church, don't be afraid, or when he says it to you, he's not saying don't feel anything. He's saying you can trust me in everything. Even when life throws its very worst at you, don't be afraid. Simply believe that I know what's going on in your life and that I care about it. That's what he's saying. There was a moment in King David's life where his son had chased him out of the palace, really chased him out of Jerusalem. And David's son had went and got the Israeli army to, you know, hunt David down and to kill him. This was one of those false worry kinds of things. This was a real deal. David's on the run. There are thousands and thousands of highly trained killers after him. The Navy SEALs were after him. This was... A, a real situation. He wasn't overblowing this moment in his mind. And, and so in this dark moment, here's what David wrote in Psalms chapter 3, and we read a little bit of it earlier. He said, Lord, I, I have so many enemies. There's just so many out there that are against me. So many of them are saying, God will never rescue him. But you, O Lord, are a shield around me. You're my glory. You're the one who holds my head high. I cried out to the Lord, and he answered me from his holy mountain. I laid down and slept, yet I woke up in safety, for the Lord was watching over me. I am not afraid of 10,000 enemies who surround me on every side. Arise, O Lord, rescue me, God. And here's a part of this prayer I love. Slap all my enemies in the face. Shatter the teeth of the wicked. That's a prayer we need to pray more often. I think Christians are too nice sometimes. Got all these fluffy little prayers. I want you to know, there are times when, I, when I'm with the Lord and I'm praying, and God, slap them around. Slap them, knock their teeth out of them. Shut their mouths, Lord. They're evil, they're wicked, they're hateful. They're, they're messing up our country. They're messing up our town. They're messing up our families. Slap them around, Lord. Christian, some of you need to start praying like this. It's good enough for King David, good enough for me. And then he ends it with, may, the, may you bless your people. And like that. <laughs> Telling you, you gotta, you gotta like this. Here's David literally saying that there are tens of thousands of people gathered up to kill him. And then it says this I laid down and slept. I got one soul after me. One person says something to me, oh man, I can't, I can't sleep. Tossing and turning all night long with stomachs all turned up. One soul. Saying something crummy about me. Here's a guy that's got tens of thousands of trained killers after him, been thrown out of his own house and city. I laid down and slept. Whoa. How'd he pull it off? He pulled it off because he knew that the Lord was watching over him. He knew that God was uh, aware of his situation. He knew that God was with him and God cared deeply about him. Didn't mean that he didn't have any feelings or whatever about what was happening in, life, in, in his life. It meant that he was going to trust the Lord in the midst of his feelings. And when you put your trust in God, when you really believe that God knows about what's happening in your life and that he cares about what's happening in your life, amazing things happen. When you really believe that. I mean, really believe it. 
You show me a, 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 a Christian who's in a crumpled heap over their circumstances, and I'll show you somebody who really doesn't believe that God knows what's happening in their life, and they don't really believe that God cares about them and that God is walking with them. They don't believe it. Now, we all, <clears throat> may, we all may get there. We all may be in a crumpled heap for a moment. But hopefully, you know, we get our mind back into the word of God, the truth, and all those kinds of things in our small groups and our Bible studies, whatever it might be, and we begin to focus in on the truth and we rise up again and go, hold on here, man. There may be 10,000 against me. And they all may be trained killers. But my God's with me. I know he's with me. And I'm not going to live in a crumpled heap of humanity in the corner fearing for my, my life. One of the, the greatest chapters in all of the Bible, maybe the most famous chapter in the Bible, is Psalms 23, which was also written by King David. And he said this, he said, the Lord is my shepherd, I have all that I need. He lets me rest in green meadows, he leads me beside peaceful streams. He renews my strength, he guides me along right paths, he brings honor to his name. Even when I walk through the darkest valley, even when there's pain and sorrow and suffering all around, I will not be afraid, he says, for you are close beside me. That's why I'm not going to be afraid. Your rod and your staff, they're going to watch over me. And I want you to notice what it doesn't say. It doesn't say I run through the valley or I panic as I go through the valley or I turn and go the other way through the valley. It says when I walk through this crummy valley, when I walk. And walking has a sense of calm to it, doesn't it? David says, listen, when, when, when the chips are against me, when everything's down, when, this is, when I'm in this crummy place, I'm not, you know, oh man, what's going to happen? Oh, oh, oh. When I walk, there's a calmness in his life because he really believed that God was beside him. He really believed that God's rod and staff was going to watch over him. He believed that God cared about him deeply. And so here you have him walking. And then it says, when I walk through the valley, the darkest valley says, I will not be afraid. And I want you to underline those two words, will not, will not. You see that right there? Will implies it's a choice. He says, I'm not going to do it. You may have another choice you're going to make, but I will not be afraid. Beloved, it's a choice that you make. You choose to be afraid. It's your choice. David just made the, 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 the choice to believe that God knew what was happening, that God cared about what was happening, and that God was going to be with him through it all. And that's a choice we all make. And here's the th beautiful thing about the church is that in our humanity, sometimes we don't always make the right choices, right? We get discouraged, we get down, we allow our circumstances to blow us out of the water. It happens to all of us, okay? And the beautiful thing about the church, about having fellowship with one another and you know, prime time and small groups and, and youth ministries and serving or whatever all that stuff is, is that when we get discouraged, when, when we make the choice to focus in on all the junk, there's somebody there to say, hold on, hold on. Let me help you make another choice. Let me help you focus on the, of the truth of the word of God. You don't, you don't need to live there anymore. You believe. You believe. God knows what's going on in your life. In Isaiah chapter 43, God said this to all of us through the, through the great prophet. He said, when you go through deep waters, God says, I'll, I'm gonna, I'll be with you. When you go through rivers of difficulty, you're not going to drown because I'm with you. When you walk through the fire of oppression, you're not going to get burned up. The flames aren't going to consume you because I'm with you. That's truth. Listen, great moment in, 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 in the life of Jesus and the disciples. You know, they're on a boat, Jesus and the disciples, out in the middle of the Sea of Galilee, and storms came, and this boat's just going crazy. 
And all of the guys wake up, they go, oh, we're going to die! We're going to die! <laughs> How could you die? Jesus is on the boat with you. He, he's, he's on the boat with you. Now, if Jesus wasn't on the boat with you, then, then I, I get it. But it's so easy to allow the circumstances to get us off of the truth of the matter. If Jesus is on the boat, you ain't going under. And here the great prophet says, listen, when you go through suffering, when you go through difficult times, whatever all those things might be, listen. I'm with you. I know what's happening. I care deeply about what's happening. Don't be afraid. You believe. You trust. You trust in me. So this is what I want you to do. Over in the venue, stand up. In here, I want you to stand up. And I want to end by us just saying these two things out loud uh, together. And then next week, we're going to look at uh, three other things, Lord willing, that, that, that Jesus would say to you. So, so, so here's the deal. You just poured out your heart over coffee. Poured out all the pain, suffering, whatever, to Jesus. And the first thing that Jesus says to you when you're suffering is... First thing he says is, I know. First thing he says is, I know. And the second thing that Jesus would say to you after you got done sharing all the stuff that's happening in your life, he would say to you, Don't be afraid. Don't be afraid. And if you are afraid, we have a room right over here called the altar room. There's one over in the venue. And the spiritual leaders of our church are there, the pastors. And let me tell you something. You're going to walk in and you're going to see the spiritual leaders. And we've all been afraid. We've, we've all been there. This side of glory, we all wrestle around with it. We, we understand. Go in and maybe just share what it is that, that's got you kind of scared and let us pray with you. Let us give you a little bit of wisdom, whatever. Maybe you've got something else going on in your life. That's what that room is for. Maybe you're here and you've never given your life to Jesus Christ. You've never said, Jesus, come into my life. You're not a child of God. You could go into the altar room here over in the other room and just say, you know what? I, I want to give my life to Christ. And it happens a, a lot in there. I'm going to ask Pastor Bobby to come on up. Pastor Scott, would you come up and just close your eyes and these guys are going to end our time with, with praying, okay? Bobby, would you pray?